The Lord be with you. Let us pray together. Speak to us of your truth, O God. Open us to your love. Help us to hear what we need to hear, that we may walk in your light and joy. Amen. The Psalter lesson this Psalm 119, verses 33 to 40, found on page 567 in the Old Testament section of your Pew Bible. We will read responsively. I will read the first verse, the congregation, the next verse, and so on. Dear Lord, O oh, teach me the way of your statutes, and I will, reserve, I will observe it to the end. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Confirm to your servant your promise, which is for those who fear you. Turn away from the grace. So I have longed for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. The word of the Lord. The gospel reading is from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5 verses 38 to 48, found on page 5 in the New Testament section of your Pew Bible. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if one, anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard, it's, heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than any other? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. Anna and I are uh, thankful to all of you who joined us last Saturday for our wedding and were in worship with us and prayed for our marriage as we worshiped God together. We're glad that you were there. 
We're thankful to all of you who have shown us wonderful uh, signs of love by sharing with us all of your good wishes as we begin our marriage, and we're grateful to all of you who will join us for the reception today following uh, worship and continue that celebration. We are so blessed to be surrounded by uh, such a community of love. I'm also grateful to Jana this morning for including in the children's sermon that part of today's lesson about uh, being perfect so that I don't have the burden of talking about that as I begin my efforts to be a husband. <laughs> Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for all the blessings of this life and for the wonder and mystery of your holy word. And in this hour, as we approach a text of challenge, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In one of this year's Super Bowl commercials, LeBron James tells the audience all of the reasons why he could tell you to drink Sprite, but he keeps insisting that he is not going to tell you to drink it. He says that over and over and over again until at the end of the commercial he instead asks a question, do you want a Sprite? I'm sure I don't have to say out loud in this town of consumer products professionals what the point is. Sometimes it is more persuasive to offer people a choice rather than telling them what to do. And it is in that spirit that I hope you will uh, hear today's scripture lesson, for Jesus tells his disciples some hard things about which he's going to give them a choice. The lesson reads, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Difficult teachings indeed. And most Christians are incredibly relieved when they hear that these words may not need to be taken too seriously. For throughout time, biblical scholars have provided plenty of examples of ways that we might adapt these difficult commands to something that we can manage. A few examples. Some say that the commands expressed in these verses are aspirational. They speak to a kind of living to which Jesus called his disciples, but none of them were able to live up to these things. They were human beings, just like we are. Jesus gives us something to strive for in the hopes that in so doing, we might make it part of the way. If you follow that line of reasoning, it leads to another healthy idea. 
Accepting that you will fail in following difficult commands is a helpful idea in faith. You see, acknowledging our failures reminds us of our human fallibility and our need for grace, and that kind of humility helps us to trust God more. Another explanation says that these words of Jesus are mandates to individual people to whom he was speaking, and not to everyone. And also, some argue that these words were spoken in a time simpler than ours, and in our modern and complex global economy, they just don't apply in quite the same way. That's another way to cope with these difficult commands. Still others have argued convincingly that the historical context of this passage is essential for adapting it to our time. Many discerning readers love an article that was written on this passage a few decades ago by a theologian named Walter Wink. Wink argued that all of these commands need to be heard in the context of the Roman occupation of Israel. Turning the other cheek and offering a coat as well as one's cloak, these were both acts of nonviolent resistance. They would have been embarrassing to the oppressor. The one striking the blow or suing you for your cloak could be ridiculed or even punished for abusing you more than you deserve. There's a similar argument that he makes concerning going the second mile. Roman soldiers were permitted by law to ask a subject of the empire to carry their pack for one mile. So Jesus then says, carry it the second mile, because to do that was actually illegal and might subject the soldier to punishment by his superiors. Jesus is recommending acts of resistance, says Walter Wink. These are strategic protests against the injustices of the day. So friends, this is in no way a doormat mentality, and Jesus is no pushover, and you don't need to be one either. And we breathe a sigh of relief. Thank goodness we have so many intelligent and clever ways to read texts such as this one. Biblical scholars are responsible for each of these readings, and they are a relief to me personally as a Christian, and also as a minister who is supposed to interpret this passage for you. And then, I read another interpretation. One in which a scholar had considered all of these different explanations, and then one day his ten-year-old daughter came home after reading Matthew 5 in Sunday school, and she asked her father, Dad, isn't Jesus just wrong about this? And his daughter's question forced him to consider that these historical interpretations all share the same problem. They all suggest that on some level, Jesus must have been wrong. 
And Matthew's Gospel as a whole, and the Sermon on the Mount in particular, in which this teaching is found, it repeatedly insists that Jesus means exactly what he says. So the question remains, is Jesus wrong? And whether he's wrong or not, why are we trying so hard to explain him away? I think it's helpful to acknowledge that this is an extremely difficult text, one people struggle with mightily and always have. And I think it's important to acknowledge that applying this passage faithfully requires some legitimate struggle. So I'd like to share with you an example of a community and a time at which I believe someone struggled with this text and did so quite faithfully. It's Black History Month. During this month, we celebrate many of the contributions of African Americans to our shared history and life together. The civil rights movement and its focus on nonviolent resistance was in many ways the product of church leaders who studied these words of Jesus and took them seriously. They refused to explain away the words of Jesus. They were often critical of the larger church's lack of faithfulness to these words. And many of the movement's most influential participants were moved by something other than Jesus. But they all took Jesus' words seriously. Turn the other cheek. Give your cloak as well. Go the second mile. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. People who believed in the truth of these words and who refused to compromise on their integrity brought a new level of justice to America. And they did it through following Jesus' instructions, and they suffered for it. They followed Jesus in the face of fire hoses and dogs and billy clubs. Interestingly, leaders of the civil rights movement, while they took some of these commands of Jesus quite literally, chose not to listen to others. Jesus begins the whole passage with his declaration, Do not resist an evildoer. And the civil rights movement was absolutely resistance. It was nonviolent resistance to evildoers. My hunch is that faithful Christians chose to resist evil in the civil rights movement because they had other resources at hand, and they read those alongside these words of Jesus. They read the whole Bible, and so they knew the words of the prophet Amos, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. They thought justice was worth resisting for. They knew how awful and unjust their current situation was, but they changed the world because they were people of vision. They could imagine a better life than the one they had because they knew the story of Moses, 
who said, I've been to the mountaintop and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. And outside of Scripture, they had other resources from other traditions. Dr. King learned about nonviolent resistance not by studying Jesus, but by studying Gandhi. Nonviolent resistance is built on a fourfold model of assessment of the injustice around you, attempts at negotiation, a period of self purification, and finally a direct action. And all of this wisdom from Gandhi and the Old Testament and the words of Jesus, all of this wisdom from the Bible and other traditions came together for the leaders of the civil rights movement and led them to live their faith in a way that mattered. They may not have applied every one of Jesus' words in their own context, but they took Jesus seriously. For they knew that Jesus means what he says. This is a story of a faithful struggle with the words of Jesus. All of us, if we are to faithfully apply the words of Jesus to our lives, we need something to help us reconcile Jesus' hard commands with the way they work out in the world. And I believe the answer to that is not an easy one, but it comes to us in the way that Jesus delivers his message. Each time Jesus gives a command, he says it this way, You have heard it said... But I say to you. This statement is a reminder to us that we are not just given a command. We are invited to think about what it means. The burden is upon us to decide how seriously we're going to take Jesus. Jesus' words are as radical as you allow them to be. If you decide that his words are really intended to change your life, your life can be transformed by the words you hear in the Bible. And on the other hand, if you choose to make Jesus' words as unthreatening as possible, if you smooth them out until they conform to all of the assumptions you already make about life, well, you can do that too. And your life will be entirely unchanged. I think Jesus gives us the toughest of commands, beginning with these words, but I say to you, because he knows something about us. Given a chance to live a better life, most of us are going to take it. Speaking of the civil rights movement, whose work is far from over, I was reminded this week that it's, it's an interesting time to be a minister because of the variety of strong desires that exist among you for me to talk about politics. 
Some of you cannot believe that I haven't been talking about politics a whole lot more, and others of you wish I would talk about it a whole lot less. Some of you don't understand why so many people in our city and across our country are protesting all the time, offering acts of resistance. And others among you have participated in those acts of resistance. And out there in our culture, on both the right and on the left, there are acts of resistance going on right now against conventional authority. And on both the right and on the left, some of those acts are being carried out thoughtfully. And on both the right and the left, some of those acts of resistance are being carried out with verbal and physical violence. When I look at the history of the civil rights movement and its interpretation of the scripture that is before us today, I see a story of faithful people who struggled with the words of Jesus and who applied them thoughtfully and prayerfully. They thought seriously about Jesus' commands. They disagreed with Jesus at times, but most importantly, they took him seriously. Rather than looking for a way to smooth out his words in an effort to make them more convenient, they listened to him and they strove to be his disciples, even when doing so was hard. Friends, we too are living in the midst of times that demand thoughtfulness. And we are living in times that demand courage. Courage to disagree and to do so respectfully and productively. Courage to think rather than blindly following the first idea that meets with what you already believe. Courage to be curious about people who are different from you, knowing that curiosity need not change your integrity. Courage to love our enemies and to take that word enemy seriously, for there are enemies out there, but the person who simply voted differently than you did is not necessarily your enemy. We need courage to restore the standards of dialogue and the love with which we speak to one another. And perhaps most of all, we need courage to be compassionate and kind. Especially toward those who are the most vulnerable, for whom political difference is not an academic issue or a dinner party argument, but a matter of life and death. And there are many of them. Jesus told us to love one another as he loved us. And he is the one who loved so much that he gave his own life away. We need to follow Jesus faithfully and take him seriously and not be too eager to explain him away. You have heard it said 
that these commands of Jesus may not be so difficult. But I say to you, Jesus means what he says. These commands are challenging, but the Christian life must include such challenges. The great theologian Paul Tillich wrote that grace strikes us when we feel that our separation is deeper than usual. Grace strikes us when we feel that our separation is greater than usual. When we face hard times and we allow Jesus' words to comfort and challenge us and cause us to grow, that is perhaps 